Mindfulness Mode 349. We've got to get you back into reality land because if you don't, you're just going to completely go off the rails. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for joining us again here today on Mindfulness Mode, everybody. And if you would subscribe to the show on your Apple device or on an app on Android like Overcast, that really helps our show. Hundreds of guests have recommended books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast, and I've pulled together the 12 most recommended books into a short 14-page ebook that's free for you. It's called 12 Must-Read Mindfulness Books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life, just like they have for my featured guests. Download this great free resource at mindfulnessmode.com top 12 books. Today's episode is marked explicit. If you're driving in the car with your children or washing dishes within earshot of your family, I suggest you select another mindfulness mode episode because there is some language you won't want them to hear. If you're ready to listen, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Arlene Battisil. Hey, Mindful Tribe, this is going to be a lot of fun today. I've got Arlene Battishill here, and she's a business dominatrix. So, Arlene, (laughs) are you in mindfulness mode today? Thank you, Bruce. It's really great to be with you. And I'm sure when you just said the words business dominatrix, it had the same reaction that it usually gets because, you know, it's titillating in a certain way. It's scary in another way. And then people think, you don't look anything like what I think a dominatrix should look like. And I just say to you, go fuck yourself. You don't know what you're talking about because you've been going through life with the blinders on. So how would you even know what a dominatrix is supposed to look like? Well, that's true. It's just an image we think of in our minds, isn't it? When we hear that word. Yeah, more for than sure. anything else. Yeah, it, it the the connotations are there. It, it evokes certain imagery, but you know the reality of the world of a dominatrix, uh, both uh, literally and figuratively, uh, in an actual dungeon and in a virtual dungeon, if you will, uh, is very very different. And what people think a dominatrix does is often very far from the reality. Because I have a particular area of expertise. Uh, an interest that is nothing like what you think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to talk about it. And right now I want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe, with our listeners. Yeah. And this is what I've got. Uh, Arlene Battishill, like I said, is a business dominatrix. She broke all the rules to become the highly sought after consultant she is today. She shares the brutal truth of what it means to sell online and how you can have brilliant success no matter how big or how small you are. Arlene uses her nerves of, or she used her nerves of steel when she appeared on the TV show Shark Tank, promoting her brilliant motorcycle riders protective and fashionable gear called Go-Go Gear. She's the best-selling author of Retail Shock Therapy, a prescription for what ails your online sales. And if you feel stuck in your business or your life, Arlene may just be your recipe for success. (laughs) So you've been working online for quite a while. Well, first of all, let's, let's talk about this. What does mindfulness mean to you, Arlene? Well... 
for me personally, it really comes down to always being in a state of making sure that my emotions are not running away with me because in business and in life, the thing that can hijack us, that can derail us, that can do a lot of bad things to us is to have our emotions running wild and us not being able to get control of them. And a lot of that is based on the anxiety that we as entrepreneurs necessarily have because we're in the riskiest business in the world with no certainty. Uh, we've got all the skin in the game. We've accepted all of the responsibility. We have no control over what any what is going on with anything. We're in relationships with people who may not be supportive of us, and that makes us especially vulnerable to our emotions running away with us. And so for me, mindfulness really is about keeping yourself in a state where no matter what is going on in your life, you're able to look at it quietly, practically, pragmatically, and rationally so that you can make the decisions about what your next move is going to be. And that is not to say that you are not upset by things, you do not have emotions about it. It's a matter of allowing all of those emotions and upset and anxiety to coexist with you, but not drive what it is that you're doing and thinking, regardless of what it is that's going on in your life. So that for me is the most important part about mindfulness. Well, I appreciate your wisdom. And speaking of mindfulness and words that begin with M, the other word that comes up when I think of Arlene is the word motorcycle. And what kind of emotion does that bring up for you, Arlene? Tell us about your love for motorcycles. Well, I'll tell you this, as somebody who's ridden a motorcycle uh, for many, many years, most of my life, it is, I always sum it up as this. If I couldn't ride, I wouldn't be able to breathe. It's really that simple. It is, it is something that I use uh, for the purpose of mindfulness because when I'm feeling pressed or stressed, all I have to do is just hop on my bike and head out, usually to the freeway where I'm going quite fast. <laughs> yeah. You don't <laughs> waste any time. People don't ride as fast as I do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It, it really is um, something where you know, you can be working on something and get all spun out of control and, and just get all twisted up and knots about something and you can't solve a problem. And what I find is I will step away from it and get on my bike where I have to be absolutely focused 100% of the time. And it actually allows my brain to rest a little bit because I'm focusing solely on something else. And then I can come back to what I'm working on or the problem that I'm trying to whatever it is, and approach it in a way where I can be really productive very quickly. And the, and the goal is, how can I do what I'm trying to do more quickly? And I find that when I am getting to a place where I'm feeling really stressed about something, it actually delays my getting to where I'm trying to go. So sometimes I literally will just go outside and sit on my bike for a second. And the second I sit on the seat and put my hands on the handlebars, everything quiets down for me. And this is not, it's not like, you know, I'm flailing about or anything like right. that, but it is just, it is the stress and pressure that comes with what you deal with every single day in your life as an entrepreneur, whether it's in your personal life or your business. And if you don't have a way to um, 
shall we say, check out of all of that just for a moment to allow your brain to just stop processing and, you know, all the ruminating thoughts that we have. And, you know, we just spin out of control all the time that if you don't have a way of just taking yourself out of that situation to kind of let your brain reboot and allow your system reset to reset, you're screwed. And yeah. another thing that I do outside of riding a motorcycle is I start every single morning rowing in the marina. I live in the marina uh, just off the Pacific Ocean in Los Angeles, okay. and I live there. I was very deliberate about living there because I can row every morning. I'm five minutes from my boathouse. I get into my boat and I row. And when I say row, it's like what they do in the Olympics, rowing. And I will go and row 10,000 meters and the sun is just coming up. It's quiet. The city hasn't woken up yet. It's very early. The water's calm and I can just start my day in a place where everything is quiet and I don't have to psych myself up every day to get ready to go do what I'm going to do. I'm already ready to go. It's more that I need to actually get myself into a place where everything is really calm and I'm ready to start the day where no matter what comes at me, I'm starting and staying in a place where I'm completely calm and the rowing really, really helps. Well, I'm so glad to know that you're a rower. I didn't realize that before. And I, mm -hmm. and I wanted to talk to you about your form of exercise. So that's yeah. it. That's your exercise. That's your mindfulness exercise, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's really important, the physical piece. You know, a lot of people go off to the gym or they're running and they're doing all of these things. And for me, being out on the water, the combination of rowing, which is probably the most difficult physical activity in the world, um, the combination of the physical demands of it and being on the water, it, it there is something that is so calming and soothing about it, that combination and it allows your body to sort of express all of what it's been carrying through the night and the processing that we do uh, through the night. And often what I do is when I have maybe a thousand meters left in my row for the day, there's a big breakwater that separates the marina from the ocean. Mm -hmm. And I'll just sit out by the breakwater and look at the water and the ocean and the sun coming up. And I will literally sit there for about 10 or 15 minutes and close my eyes and just settle myself and really inhale the entire experience. And then I wrap up my row, I hop on my bike and off I go. Well, it sounds like a very productive, very exciting life, but have you ever had challenges to deal with that looked like, you know, you felt like you were closed down or you were trapped or you were, you know, you were in that place where you just couldn't move forward. Have you ever had any of those kinds of challenges? Well, I'll tell you the probably the biggest challenge in my life has been a lifelong um, uh, challenge of having a debilitating fear of flying. Oh. And I had been throughout my career, I was flying a lot. And now um, my my wife, she lives in another country. I live in Los Angeles and okay. I commute back and forth every other week. And so I'm flying all the time. And what I found, I mean, it was so debilitating that I was having panic attacks two weeks before I would get on the plane and I'd be hyperventilating and I, it, it was just, it, I just felt like I was going to die every time I got on the plane. And the anticipatory anxiety that I dealt with, 
you know, what that did to my body. Um, I, I, I'm sure I will suffer long-term uh, negative effects of the level of stress being induced by the catastrophic thinking that I was engaging in. And I actually was not able to address that particular issue in my life until one day I actually realized what was at the root of it. And when I realized what was at the root of it, this is no lie, the fear of flying vanished instantly. Wow. I have no problem flying anymore. And what would happen for me when I was going through this period of, it was so excruciating for me. And I, I couldn't find a way to quiet myself. And I had gone through every possible form of therapy, you know, like cognitive re whatever you call that kind of stuff, behavior mm -hmm. modification, um, you know, virtual reality, hypnosis, everything. And I couldn't quiet down the anxiety. And one of the things that actually did start helping toward the end of my bout with this problem is that I bought one of those Fitbits yes. and it was the kind that had the heart rate monitor on it. And mm -hmm. I would get on the plane and I would just sit there and stare at the heart rate until I could bring my heart rate down. Because one of the things that would happen is that my whole body would feel so tense, which would then further exacerbate what was happening around my fear of flying. And once I was able to calm my breathing down, my whole body relaxed, and then I would do better on the flight. But it was still, it, it was just the worst thing that I could ever have to do. And then because I was traveling so much for my work, I get to my destination and I was done for. So, but thankfully it's been some time now that I've, you know, been struggling with that. And I'm grateful that I don't have to deal with it anymore. But what, you know, one of the things I realized is that uh, as is often the case with people, we'll be dealing with something that we're very, very afraid of. And it seems to be the only area of our life that we can't get a handle on because all we're, we're basically taking all of the shit in our life and dumping it into one place. And for me, it was actually a very, um, it was a very, uh, how should I put it? It was a container for me. Um, and it was a convenient container because I could control when I was flying and when I was not and, you know, my preparation for everything. And so the whole rest of my life was fine until I had to fly because all of my issues in life were just neatly tucked away in this little container. And uh, <laughs> then it would rear its ugly head the second I had to buy my plane ticket. <laughs> oh, wow. That sounds like a real challenge. Well, yeah. you, you are such a dynamo. What were you like as an eight-year-old child? Tell us about a day in your life as a, as a kid. Were you the same dynamo kind of kid? <laughs> uh, probably an eight-year-old version of who I am today. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think that it, it probably is best captured because I, I was, you know, the ball buster back then and stirring up shit everywhere and the <laughs> resident provocateur. And I can remember when I was four, I saw a bumper sticker and I didn't know what a bumper sticker was. I just knew I wanted this thing. And I took my little five cents allowance and sent away in the envelope and stamped it and addressed it. And in, in the mail came this bumper sticker and what it said on it was, question authority and I've been speaking truth to power and telling people to fuck off when they're not telling the truth and you know being disingenuous and causing harm to people I've been doing that ever since I was a kid and um, I'm very direct with people but that's 
clearly why people work with me. They come to me because they don't want any bullshit. They want someone to tell it to them straight and help them get where they're trying to go sooner rather than later. So uh, <laughs> who I was <laughs> at four remains the same. I'm just a, a little older and not necessarily wiser. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's why it works for you to be known as the business dominatrix because yeah, you know people know what to expect. They know that mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to be screwing around. You're going to be telling it like it is. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I've just finished reading a book, not reading, I've just finished writing a book. And it's called the, um, I, I just got the title for it. And it's called The Hidden Secrets of Successful Entrepreneurs. And the, the subtitle is Stop Screwing Around, Get Out of Your Own Way. And, oh my God, I just forgot the last part. I, oh, and make your next move. Okay. So it, you know, it really comes up, it, it really comes down to, look, there's all this shit that goes on in our lives and you really do have to stop screwing around here. I can't say stop fucking around because they won't publish that on the book. Right. And then you really have to get out of your own way. And then you have to know and make your next move. You know what your next move is and you make your next move. And the problem is that all sounds really simple and obvious, but what it takes for people to be able to do that is really uh, quite challenging because they're so stuck in a way of operating or they're afraid or they're feeling like everything is out of control and they're going to lose everything. And generally what I have to do is, you know, figuratively slap them around to get them to stop doing what they're doing in their head so that they can move forward. And I, I recently had this happen uh, where a woman uh, messaged me on Facebook and she said, Arlene, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you right now. And she was literally hysterical on the call when I got on the call with her just a few minutes later. And I finally had to tell her to shut the fuck up and stop talking because she had completely spun out of control and I had to like get her off the ceiling and pull her down back to earth and say, mm -hmm. look, this is the situation you're in and you're doing all this shit of carrying on like a crazy person here, but that's not going to change your situation. Now, this is what I need you to do in this moment and here's how you're going to go do it and these are the results you're going to get if you would just shut the fuck up and do what you need to do here. And literally 24 hours later, she came back to me and she had done several thousand dollars in business and she had finally calmed herself down. But sometimes we really need somebody to slap us around or whip us into shape because we can't get control of ourselves. And this is the anxiety that drives a lot of what derails entrepreneurs where they can't, they can't even figure out what to focus on anymore because they're just spiraling out of control. Yeah, that seems to be a, a problem with a lot of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, just can't get focused and they're just going all over the place. And, and, you know, taking action is great, but you have to know what to take action in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's been a, a, the real key for me in the work that I've done with people is because, uh, you know, I came out of a corporate environment where I was managing a $300 million budget before I left before I lost my job at, at the height of the recession. And mm -hmm. then I started a company from scratch and I spent seven years building that company without a paycheck. And I was hustling the whole time trying to support myself while I was building this company. And then I finally invented um, you know, what ultimately turned into a million dollar product. And so 
I come from the school of hard knocks. I, I built my way to success. I have been on the side and am on the side of the business owner who understands what inventory is, what carrying costs are, what personnel issues are. And what happens in many situations with coaches is that they, they were doing something at one point and then just became a coach. But what I have been doing most of the time is that I've been either running businesses or you know, working for very large corporations. And so I've got the big company experience and I've got the entrepreneur entrepreneur experience and I know exact, and I've spent the last 10 years selling online. And so I've got a very unique uh, array of skills that when somebody comes to me and they're just, they are just losing their shit. I already know what they need to be doing because I've already been there. I've been down the path they've been, not going crazy like they are, but I can say to them, okay, this is what's happening for you and this is what you need to do because there is no way you're going to be able to get control of yourself unless you do the following things because this is what you think is going to happen, only here is the reality and we've got to get you back into reality land because if you don't, you're just going to completely go off the rails. Arlene, you were on the TV show Shark Tank and you were promoting your your product. And uh, what happened? Tell our listeners about that experience because it was pretty interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the one thing you have to know about Shark Tank and every other reality TV show is is that it's designed for the viewer's entertainment. And producers will always tell a story that they want to tell. And whomever is, um, you know, the flavor of the week and my business partner and I were the flavor of the week uh, for our episode, uh, they will take and edit your episode in a way that is telling their story. And you as the entrepreneur on Shark Tank are actually a prop uh, because you're there to make all of the sharks look good. And so we were in the taping for probably, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes right? Even longer. I don't know. But once they call action, you're rolling from beginning to end. There's no mm-hmm. cut, stop, none of it, like in TV and movies. And what was really funny that you never saw uh, it in the airing of the episode is that they were yelling at us quite a bit in what you saw on TV. But what you didn't see is that we were yelling back at them as much <laughs> as they were yelling at us because they were just saying shit to get a rise out of us. And we're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Shut up. <laughs> so we were just yelling back and forth and they were okay. saying really provocative, you know, outrageous uh, things to us trying to get a rise because they're looking for reaction shots. So when all was, when we went into the taping, we knew that we were willing to say anything in order to get a deal because we figured if we could at least do a deal in the taping, we stood a much greater chance of actually ending up on national television. Right. And so we didn't care what we said because we had no intention of going through with the deal because we knew none of the sharks were connected in our industry in a way that they could help us. And the guy that made the most sense for us to try and do the deal with was Damon because he was in the clothing business and we make protected clothing, but it's not made by people who sew clothing that goes into Macy's. We may, you have to have special factories make this protective clothing because it, it's technically engineered. It's a very sophisticated garment. And so he didn't have any connections. And what people don't know is you sign this 47 page, literally a 47 page legal document that part of it says that you are under no obligation, that the 
what you do in the taping is not binding because you need to go through your due diligence with the shark, they with you to determine whether or not this is a good fit. So some people actually do do the deals, but it was not our intention to do any kind of deal. We were not going to go through with it. We just wanted to increase the likelihood that we were going to be on national TV. And that's ultimately what happened. So we, <laughs> we agreed to this ridiculous deal where they were going to give us $300,000 for 65% of our company. Like who the fuck would do something like that. We didn't, we didn't actually need their money because we were self-financed at that time, you know, because yeah. I had taken my entire life savings, my, my severance package, what money I did have, and I dumped it into the business. Okay. And so at that point, the business is running on my money, my business partner's money. We've both lost our jobs. And at the height of the recession, we both lose our jobs. And like any, you know, rational human being, we took everything and jumped it into a business at the height of the recession and launched <laughs> just at every just as the shit show began. So <laughs> I don't know how smart that was, but it did pay off in the end. <laughs> yeah. So so tell us about GoGo Gear these days. How's it? How's the business going? Well, in 2016, we hit pay dirt because I had in invented a product called Kevlar leggings that. Um, I mean, they have just flown off the shelf and we continue, we're selling internationally and um, the business is is running itself now and printing money for us. So <laughs> I like being in that situation after seven years of slogging through it all, you know, wondering whether or not this was actually ever going to pan out, but it ultimately did. And 2016 was our best year. We had an even better year in 2017 and 2018 is going to be better by probably 25%. So uh, no complaints about the business at this point. And oh, what it does is now that the business is, is, you know, supporting itself and supporting, uh, providing a, a very handsome living for both my business partner and I, it now frees me to do what I had been doing all that time, but now I can do it full time, which is the whole business of me being the business dominatrix, which uh, I, I should note for most people that um, I actually do have experience in real life uh, working as a dominatrix in the way that people sort of fantasize, but um, not when you involve or invoke the sex part of it. That's not what a dominatrix does. That's what you see on Fifty Shades of Grey and porn movies and other fantasies that people have. But what I was doing more with people in an actual dungeon, yes, of course, there were physical implements involved, you know, whips and so forth. But one thing you have to understand is a dominatrix must completely understand who their client is and what's going on for them and what that client is trying to accomplish. And you function very much as a prop for that person so that they can get where they're trying to go. And both physically and emotionally and psychologically, my job as a dominatrix in that environment and also as a business dominatrix is to know when to apply the pressure, when to let off the gas, um, and where to apply that pressure. And that means I need to have a real, uh, into, I have to have a real intimate understanding of who I'm working with and know what is actually going on for them. And one of the things that I've discovered over time working with people is that a lot of the anxiety that they're carrying around is actually associated with some trauma that they've experienced in their life. And it doesn't have to be sexual trauma or physical violence. I mean, trauma comes in many forms. It comes in the form of just being neglected by parents or 
who are too busy and it has a devastating impact on people that then finds its way or manifests itself in what can be debilitating anxiety for people. And so I end up dealing with a lot of that as part of enabling people to get where it is they're trying to go in their business and by extension, their personal life. And what I always say to people is that what I do, this is not about therapy. This is about strategy because we're busy. We're entrepreneurs. We have shit we need to get done and we can't sit there spending years at a time, you know, in therapy, mining everything our parents ever did to us and shit like that. That's not the point here. The point is to figure out how do we manage what we're dealing with and have it coexist with us while we are taking action to make things happen in our business. And it, it's a very tricky uh, combination of things that I work with, but they're all present in all of us to, you know, some of it to a larger extent than others. And it's different for every single person. Um, but that is what I do full time now is just work with entrepreneurs who are really, really struggling in this way and needing to figure out <laughs> like the subtitle of my book, you know, stop screwing around, get out of your own way and know what your next move is. And then you make it. Arlene, have you ever been bullied or have you ever bullied someone else where mindfulness would have made a difference about how that, that situation unfolded? Um, you know, when, well, when, when we talk about bullying, um, I won't say that I experienced bullying in the way we see it today. Uh, when I was in high school, I was, um, I was in a situation where I had people in my high school threatening me. And this was in the seventies when I, I was, I grew up in Detroit and there okay. were, there was a lot of racial conflict at, at that time. And there was a TV show called Roots that came on. It was a mini series with LeVar Burton, I think in 1976 or 77. And there was tremendous uh, conflict between the African-American students and the white students in all of the schools in Detroit because we had come out of the race riots and the violence of the police uh, against African-Americans in the late 60s. And we move into the 70s and we experienced something called white flight where a judge ruled that all of the city schools must be integrated or, or uh, desegregated. And so now they were busing white kids into black schools and black kids into white schools. And the mm -hmm. amount of violence that was going on in the schools at that time was just unheard of. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the white students that was taken out of an all white school. This was completely random. It's just like they picked your name out of a hat and you had to go. And so I was taken out of an all white high school and moved over to an all black high school. And there were six white kids in my graduating class. And I had an instance where I was in a locker room. I, I was asked to come, you know, be the token on the basketball team and I couldn't play basketball to save my life, but there I was. Mm. And apparently some kids had done something and they got in trouble for it and they thought I told on them. So one of the other basketball players came over and she grabbed one of these metal cages where we would put our clothes in lockers and she picked mm -hmm. it up and started shoving it in my face, you know, saying that I was the one who did it. And I kept pleading with her saying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But, you know, when you're in a situation like that, there, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. you're guilty until further proven guilty. Um, and mm. 
what I knew in that moment is I had been up till that moment in my life, someone who was very much a diplomat, even though I'm telling everybody to fuck off, it was always around doing the right thing. And you never cause harm to people. And I was very much about justice and making sure that people treated each other properly. And I spent most of my time in that situation pleading with her to get her to understand who I was and to see me properly and to know that I would never do something like that because that's just not who I am. But the circumstances were such that it, the, it was such an incendiary environment that there was nothing I could do. And so the remainder of the year, I was pretty much alienated from the rest of the students and I'd try and engage them. But you know, there was nothing I could do. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of went about my business. But I think the thing with mindfulness in a situation like that is when you know yourself well enough and you feel really rock solid in who you are and you have a moral compass and a guide that is all about knowing what is the right thing to do in a situation, um, I didn't have a real problem with that because I always knew who I was. And maybe that's why I so early on I could tell people to go fuck off because, you know, they were not going to tell me something and they're not going to blow smoke up my ass. I wasn't going to have any part of it because I knew exactly what they were doing. And so that that's been kind of a, a guiding uh, principle for me throughout my whole life, which is all about, you know, being mindful of other people and behaving in a way that's respectful of them and always working toward finding a way where we can work together so that everybody wins. Because I don't believe that it's beneficial in life for people to be, to, for people to lose as a result of what someone else has done. Competition is one thing, but when people are losing in life because somebody else gets to win, that doesn't work for me. No, no, absolutely. I, as we move forward, Arlene, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Just 30 second answers are perfect. Here's, here's the first one. Okay, I'm going for it. 30 second answers. <laughs> Who's one person who has influenced your mindfulness, Arlene? Wow. You know, I... <laughs> Can I have question number two while I think about it? <laughs> How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh my God, it, it's been absolutely huge because in the most stressful situations in life, which are all compliments of being an entrepreneur, they've allowed me to self-regulate and to keep myself as calm as possible in every situation. And I've faced some uh, pretty traumatic uh, circumstances in my business and in my life. And I've always looked at them in a way where it's, what do we need to do? What's my next move in this situation? So mindfulness has been critical for me. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. <laughs> it's like I said before, if I couldn't ride my bike, I wouldn't be yeah. able to breathe. And breathing was really critical to my being able to deal with my flying, uh, my debilitating flying anxiety. And, and I think breathing more than anything else is the number one thing that people must be doing when they are trying to get control of themselves. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? You know, I was thinking about this when you asked that question in, in the list that you sent me, and it's not actually about mindfulness, but the net result of what this book about does produce mindfulness. mindfulness. And um, it's a book called Brain Lock by Jeffrey M. Schwartz. 
And it's a four-step self-treatment method to change your brain chemistry. And it's the subtitle is Free Yourself from Obsessive Compulsive Behavior. And I didn't pick this book up because it was about obsessive compulsive behavior. I picked it up because someone once told me about your brain chemistry and about how you can actually change the neural pathways so that you don't have ruminating thoughts and you're brooding and all the kinds of stuff that people do. And because I deal with a lot of people now who are suffering from anxiety in various forms as the business dominatrix, uh, this has been a very powerful book for people uh, who are who are really, really struggling. And you don't have to you know, have this be something where you've been diagnosed with anxiety or OCD or any of that kind of stuff. It really is about when you're in really stressful situations and you can't stop, you know, thinking about, oh, the implications of this and I'm going to lose my house and, you know, what are my, what, what is my family going to think of me and all this kind of stuff that we're just trying to find some control uh, in our life in that moment. And this book has been hugely beneficial both to me uh, in my own life and in my work with people. So that would be the one that I would say. And also, you know what, if I may offer another one, sure. there's a book called Quiet by Susan Cain, and it's the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. And Many in, many entrepreneurs are actually introverts. They may not look like it on the outside, and no one would actually believe that they are, but they really, truly are, and they suffer out in the world with the way that people communicate. And it it is a, a book that can really produce a lot of calm in you in terms of recognizing that there's nothing wrong with you, that you don't want to sit and make small chat with people when you go places, or maybe you don't even want to go places because that kind of stuff is going to go on because introverts mm. tend to prefer uh, deeper, more meaningful, intimate conversations with people. And they don't like a lot of noise and the overstimulation is really overwhelming to them in that book. Quiet uh, was really, really um, uh, helpful to me. And it's, I mean, it's a best selling book. It's been helpful to a lot of people. And I never thought there was anything wrong with me. I just wanted to tell everybody to fuck off and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but then what I realized, contrary to what it may appear, and even as a dominatrix, uh, I actually am an introvert. And I'm good with that. I just didn't know that that's what I was. <laughs> oh. oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, do you have an app that you recommend of any kind that helps you with mindfulness? You know, I was thinking about that um, coming into our conversation. And, you know, what I find helps me the most is uh, music. I don't listen mm -hmm. to an app. I don't listen to visualization stuff or anything like that. It's more, uh, there are certain pieces of music. And I used to be a, a film composer many, many years ago. I was a, a classically trained musician. And music was always, when I was composing music, I always wrote music that was very much about touching myself and people in a very deep and emotional way that was very calming that would allow us to access our emotions and be quiet with them and so i think that you know there's a lot of music that really resonates for people that they it's their go-to music that creates a certain feeling in them it could create euphoria it could create happiness. It can create sadness. And I think everybody has a song or two or more that they can, that is their go-to song that when they need to feel a certain way, they can actually produce that feeling. And I find that music is the fastest way to changing how you feel. Well, back to that original question, who is one person, <laughs> see, I didn't forget Arlene, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? <sighs> 
You know what? I honestly don't know because it's something, you know what? I don't think there's anyone that I can say that, that I am aware mm-hmm. uh, has had that kind of influence on me where I would say, oh, my life changed when so-and-so said something to me because I've always been so um, in touch with my emotions and, and recognize the power of them. And I think that when I was suffering the most with my flying anxiety, that was when I had to get, I I really had to get in touch with how do I need to be mindful in this situation? Because I'm not going to make it if I can't find a way to deal with this situation. And so it really was of my own doing and a lot of hard work at, you know, suffering through a lot of flights where, you know, I literally would spend the entire flight bare, you know, white knuckled with my face pressed against the window, dying and thinking I'm never going to make it down because I'm going to have a panic attack on this plane and die. And uh, it's an awful way to spend time. And I knew that I didn't want to live that way anymore. And I had to do something about it. Wow. Well, I'm glad you were able to do something about it. So how can we reach out to you? How can we connect with you and learn more about what you do, Arlene? Sure, absolutely. You can uh, find me on my website, which is ArleneBattisil.com. It's A-R-L-E-N-E-B-A-T-T-I-S-H-I-L-L.com. And it's pretty much has my bio and uh, uh, links to my podcast, which is called What's Your Next Move? And uh, that's pretty much where everything's at. I'm all over Facebook. I mean, if you just Google my name, you will find 100,000 references to me because I've been on the internet for so long. Um, but you can find me on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> my Facebook page is <laughs> the, <laughs> the Business Dominatrix. And uh, my personal uh, Facebook account is uh, Arlene Badass Badassil. now that doesn't surprise me (laughs) so once again mindful tribe arlene battisil there's an h in there that's silent it's a-r-l-e-n-e for arlene battisil is b-a-t-t-i-s-h-i-l-l and check her out at thatname.com and you can find out lots more things and connect on social media arlene it's been so much fun to connect and talk about mindfulness today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, Bruce, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure and I appreciate the invitation to come and talk with you today. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. 
So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.